Well, guess what the sermon is about today? Lesson 23 of the study of Hebrews. <laughs> We're in chapter 8, and we've been looking at this new covenant that we have for the last three weeks. And this will really be the last lesson that will be dedicated to the topic. So let's read, and let's skip down to verse 10. It says, This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will man teach his neighbor saying or his, or his brother saying know the Lord because they will all know me from the least to the greatest of them for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. In this last segment on the new covenant we are going to look at this promise of God to put his laws on the hearts and the minds of the people. And again, when he, I say people, it's the sons of Israel and those who have been grafted into Israel. And I've saved this one for last because there's something that has never ceased to amaze me and bewilder me at the same time. Because those who want to tell you that the Torah is no longer applicable to them and those that tell you that the Torah is eternal and we are to keep it use the same verses to prove their points. Right? Have you noticed that? Well, it amazes me. Like I say, it's not unusual. You hear this over and over again. Both sides using the same verses to prove their point. They will use Matthew 5.17, Colossians 2.16, and of course Hebrews 8. Quoting Jeremiah 31. Those who tell you that you must keep the Torah use Hebrews 8 and Jeremiah 31 to say that the Torah has not been abolished by the new covenant. Because of Yeshua and the new covenant, the Torah, the law, is now on your heart. The problem is with a lot of them, not always all of them, but often... Then they, go to begin, then they go out and begin to live like an Orthodox Jew. They feel that that's the way to live out the Torah. Then there are those who say, you know, I don't need to read or study the law because God has written his law on my heart. I keep his law by the Spirit from the heart so I don't need the written code anymore or the letter of the law any longer. To both of those I say, yeah, you're right. With a big, big butt. <laughs> so I guess today I'm going to begin by covering some of these big butts. <laughs> and then I'm going to end with what is the truth? <laughs> what is the truth of this new covenant? And what is the truth of this law? being written on our hearts. And so let's begin with those who believe that the law is, not, is now on their hearts to do and so they don't have to pay attention to the written law because they have the Spirit of God on their hearts teaching them the law. And let's use the Sabbath as an example. Let's just take one law because if we look at the whole thing, it'll be, we'll be up here a long time. We'll just look at one law, the Sabbath. They profess... When the Torah and the prophets say that we have to keep the seventh day holy, the Sabbath day holy, that doesn't include them because it's on my heart to keep the first day Sabbath as Sabbath. 
Well, let me just say this. There's no other way for me to cover this big butt on their point of view but to say that I find their premise hard to fathom. I'm a logical thinker, and I just can't understand the reasoning behind their statement. How can anyone think that God says in his law, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. But when it's written on your heart, it's no longer in effect. That's beyond me. It's beyond my understanding. For them to say that the Spirit told them, oh, forget that. You can keep any day you want. You don't have to worry about doing work on the seventh day because my law is now on your heart. I mean, that's totally beyond me to understand. It's like someone saying one and one are three. Would the Spirit of God not agree with the Word of God writing it on your heart? I mean, it's his word, isn't it? After all. It's the same as, as saying, I now have the master Yeshua indwelling my heart, teaching me his law. And so the command on the seventh day to do no work and you shall keep my Sabbath day holy is abolished. You don't have to pay attention to that anymore. You can now work on the seventh day and you can keep the first day holy. That's unimaginable to me. In other words, they're saying that the master on our heart differs from the master in Scripture. Because what did the master say? In Matthew chapter 5, he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He didn't say he was going to abolish the Torah, but fulfill it. And what does fulfill mean? Well, not as you hear some say that you no longer have to keep the law because it's ended, it's over and done with. He fulfilled it, he completed it. No, let's look at what the Lonida and lexicon of the Greek says. It says, to give the true meaning to. To provide the real significance of the law and the prophets. And so in this case, they say the correct translation should be, I did not come to destroy, but to give true meaning to the law and the prophets. And they're absolutely right. He didn't come to destroy or abolish or set aside the law, but to give us the true meaning, the true understanding. And yet some want to tell you that he destroyed the law. Regarding the Sabbath. And they know it's true because it's on my heart. And I'm not saying it's not on their heart. I'm just disputing who put it there. Because if this is the case, their heart makes out Yeshua to be double-minded. And he's not double-minded. Understand that having something on your heart to do means that you're going to keep it. You have it on your heart to do it. It's your, it comes from the core of your being. You're not going to change it. You're not going to destroy it because it's in your inner being to do it. It's your heart. It's the thing to do from your heart. Having the law on your heart was something that God desired from the very time he gave the law. And in fact, the law on your heart is written in the law as well. We say it every week. We said it this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these commandments that I give you today 
are to be upon your heart. Impress them on your children. Talk of them when you sit in your home, when you walk by the road, walk along the road, and when you lie down, and when you get up. You see the same words used here. So do you think that God is telling the Israelites to put his word on their hearts so that they'll disobey the law of the Sabbath day so that way he can destroy them off the land? Or do you think he said this so they would put the Sabbath on their heart and keep the seventh day holy so they would not die but live long in the land? It's a no-brainer, right? Well, it's a no-brainer in the book of Jeremiah and Hebrews too. Don't fool yourself into thinking that Yeshua, well, on the earth said, I have come to render the true meaning to the law, and the true meaning differs when it's written on your heart. I mean, even if you're not a logical thinker, that just sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? Right? Of course it does. Because in truth, he means he came to give true meaning because men had distorted the law, the written law. But then, you know, the person with this mindset on disobeying the Sabbath will say, but wait a minute! Didn't the Apostle Paul say this in Romans chapter 7? Now we have been released from the law, having died to that which we were bound, so that we may serve in the newness of the Spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. Come on, Stan. I mean, really, it doesn't get a whole lot clearer than that. We serve in the newness of the Spirit, not by the letter. That's true. I'm not disagreeing with that either. We now have the Spirit of Messiah living on our hearts. Let's look at how Messiah fulfills the law. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, he quotes the law. He says, you have heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So while the law says, do not commit the act of adultery, Yeshua on your heart says, stop, don't look at that woman in that way. Stop, you're committing adultery. He also quotes the law in verse 31. He says, it has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. You find that in Deuteronomy chapter 24. It says, if you find anything displeasing, anything displeasing in your wife, you can give her a certificate of divorce. But Yeshua on your heart will say this, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. You know, I once had someone tell me that the Spirit said to them, leave his wife for someone because she was her, his true soulmate. I said, well, I don't know what spirit you're listening to, but sounds like your own spirit to me. We could go on with this, but the point is this. If anything, the Spirit and the law in your heart is not more permissive. It's actually more restrictive, right? John tells us this about the law and the spirit of Messiah, and really he pulls no punches. He says this in John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3. He says, everyone who breaks the law, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. In him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. And no one who continues to sin has either seen him 
or known him. Now that's a scary verse, right? So that's the side of having the law in your heart and uh, not having to obey. And I don't want to spend much time here because we've covered this so many times before and I know that I'm preaching to the choir. But understand that Yeshua is in your heart. The living word is in and on your heart so that you will keep his laws. Like, do not work on the Sabbath, but keep his Sabbath day holy and not go your own way and do as you please on his holy day. Having God's law on your heart does not, is not an excuse to violate God's law. It's the power of God to keep his law. Okay, that's one side. Now I'm going to look at the other side as well. Let's look at the at an extreme on the other side. Those who use this to say even Gentiles who are part of the new covenant now have the law in their hearts. They need to keep the Torah as well and then they often live as the Orthodox Jewish people live. See, that's not logical for me either. Until you have a congregation, what you end up with with this kind of thought is you have a congregation of Gentiles who look and act more like the Orthodox than the Orthodox. And Nick pulled down, we were talking about this week, and Nick pulled down from a congregational site that has gone off this deep end. And uh, I'm going to quote it here. I'm not going to give any references because I don't want you to go over there. But (laughs) They said this. While each person's journey towards truth is individual, there are some basic requirements. These requirements attempt to ensure that someone who eventually chooses the Torah of Moshe can make an informed and intelligent commitment to Israelite lifestyle and the Israelite people. To this end, the prospective convert must have Knowledge of basic Torah ideas and practices participated in some central Torah experiences and explore his or her attitudes and beliefs and feelings as they relate to the Torah and becoming a Nazarene. And notice that they want you to become a Nazarene. Not, Not a follower of Yeshua on your heart, but a Nazarene. And where do they get this Becoming a Nazarene from? Well, it does occur once in Scripture. It occurs in Matthew chapter 20, or Acts chapter 24. In verse 5, he says, He is the ringleader of the Nazarene sect and even tried to desecrate the temple, so we seized him. And so, you see, this one occurrence in Scripture, the Jewish believers in the land were called the sect of the Nazarene by the temple authorities. However, in Scripture, you'll never hear them refer to themselves in this way. In historical books, they're also referred to as the Nazarenes right up till the 4th century when they disappear. But again, only by others. And that's kind of a small thing. But what I'm trying to get at is they're actually taking faith in Messiah Yeshua and are being saved by grace through faith to a new level. And that is, we need more. We should become Nazarenes as well. And if we take this to the ultimate definition, their definition, we find that they want to commit you to this. Do you choose to enter the eternal covenant between Yudhevavheh and the people of Israel and to become a Nazarene of your own free will? 
This commitment will start by making a public confession of the belief that Yahshua is Moshiach, immersion and observance of basic Torah requirements of Acts chapter 15. Later, requirements for males will be Brit Milah and Hatafat Dam. As you increase in knowledge, more mitzvot will be added. So, listen guys. If you want to go down, I don't know where this congregation is, but if you want to go down and join you, join this congregation, they're going to cut you. And they're going to bind you to a covenant that, as the writer of Hebrews put it, is becoming obsolete. And if you don't know what Hatafat Dam is, in case you don't understand what that is, that is, if you're circumcised in a hospital as a, as a baby, that isn't good enough. So they still cut you just to draw the blood of the covenant. Not only that, not only do you have to be cut, but as time goes by, they will add more and more of what they call mitzvot. And what are mitzvot? Well, in truth, they are the law of, laws of God. But let me say what they mean by mitzvot is their definition of the laws of God. So right away as a logical thinker, I say, wait a minute. Why is that necessary? If the law of God is already on my heart because I'm part of the new covenant, I thought the new covenant said, no longer will man teach his neighbor. Why do I need them to tell me what to keep and why? Do I want to follow the definition of the, their definition of the law when I already have Yeshua on my heart? You see what I'm saying? These folks are trying to convert you from faith and trust in the Messiah Yeshua from, a new, from new covenant followers of Messiah Yeshua with the law of God on your heart to do to a Nazarene. And a Nazarene keeps Torah according to the traditional interpretation of these folks, which is based on the Orthodox rabbis. You see, Yeshua grafting you into the people of God is not good enough for these people. You need to do these things as well. You know, for me, the very worst part of this whole scenario, and I'm sure if Paul were standing here, he would say it's the worst part of this scenario for him too, is you are going to go from being a visibly one of those who are blessed of the nations in fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham that through him and the Messiah all nations of the earth will be blessed to... Well, to tell you the truth, I don't know what you're going to become. A Nazarene, whatever a Nazarene is. I can say this, though. It's certainly nothing that you're going to find in Scripture. So to those, so those are the extremes. And understand, there are many examples I could have used in between, but I use the extremes because they're so clear-cut. Right? None of these you're going to find in Scripture. And I don't want to be one of the ex extremes. I want the law of God on my heart. And I want to listen to the master. Amen. So, does that mean that everyone who doesn't keep the Sabbath is going to hell or is not part of the new covenant because they failed to keep the law of God from their heart? Or that those who listen to men and do not follow the law from the heart but follow the law from their own understanding or by following other men are going to hell and they're not members of the new covenant? Not at all. What does it mean then? 
it means because of bad teaching, which caused, has caused them to override the still small voice within them. They have ignored the law of God on their heart and replaced it with laws of men, much the way, same way Israel said, remember how I started this, Israel said no to hearing God. You see, while we're part of a new covenant and have the law on our heart to do, we're also still flesh and blood. And because of that, you can be deceived. You can be deceived by false teachers. You can deceive yourself. And this is because you are at war with yourself. Paul speaks of this in the book of Romans. Remember, we covered this. And in this passage, he tells us the law is good. And it's not just good, but it's spiritual. He says this in verse 14 of chapter 7. He says, we know the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, but, but what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me. That is my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, ev the evil I do not want to do, I do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin living in me that does it. So, you know, here Paul speaks of this dilemma. And he tells us, listen to this, he tells us that even as saved believers, just as he is, we all want to do good. And he makes it clear what good is. It's the law, it's spiritual, it's good. However, the good we want to do, we do not do. Instead, the evil we do not want to do, that we do. And this is because we're at war with ourselves and we're prone to sin. We're prone to follow our sin nature. And not just that, but also, even as believers in Messiah, we're subject to be deceived by men. He made that clear to the Ephesians. He tells us, he tells us, he tells these Ephesians, these born again, saved, sanctified, new covenant followers of Messiah Yeshua with the word of God written on their heart, this. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw disciples after them. You see, Paul is telling us that even though we're new covenant followers of Messiah, or we could say, New covenant led by the spirit followers of Messiah. Or even new covenant members with the law of God written on our hearts to do. We can still be deceived. Imagine that. We can be deceived by other men. We can be deceived by our own flesh as he just told us in Romans chapter 7. And let me say when you combine the ability to be deceived by men with the ability to be deceived by your own flesh. You got a recipe for disaster. But there is hope. 
And we'll find it if we just keep reading a little farther in Romans. He says this. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. And notice what he says here. In my inner being. In other words, in my heart, I delight in the law of God. Why is that? Well, because... It's on his heart to do, right? However, his flesh is waging war on the law that's in his heart and in his mind. You see, we're prone to sin. So prone to sin that he says of himself and thereby us as well, I'm actually a prisoner to transgression or sin. What a wretched man I am. This is Paul, folks. This is Paul, the apostle sent by, by Yeshua. Paul is born again, saved, follower of Messiah, not just that, but apostle to the nations. He's a minister of the new covenant. And what does he say? Even with the law of God written on his heart, he says, I'm a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. So Stan, you said there was some hope here. Where is the hope? Because it looks to me as if we're all doomed to go on sinning. Maybe as you said last week, those people who say the new covenant isn't in effect till the end of the age are right because if we have the law in our hearts, what good is it doing us? Because we can't do the good we want to do. Right? You may, think, you may be thinking now, bad news. I really painted a bad picture here for you, right? But it's not all lost because after this long discourse of this war that goes on within us all, he gives us the answer so that we can have victory over this battle. He says this, Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Messiah Yeshua our Lord. We can have victory through Messiah Yeshua. The victory in this war comes through Messiah Yeshua. The victory over the lies of men meant to lead us astray and the victory over our own flesh which leads us into slavery of sin is in Messiah Yeshua. Paul is telling us that he finds victory in Messiah Yeshua. You see, here's the secret. Just as Israel failed without relationship that God offered... You will fail without the relationship that Yeshua offers. Without becoming one who hears his voice. Let's go back to the giving of the law. And we're going to find how we get this victory in Messiah Yeshua. We covered this a little bit last week. But we're going to do it again. In a little more depth. It says in Exodus chapter 34, verse 29, When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of testimony in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. And I want you to see that when Moses went to speak with God, alone with God, 
and he came down with those tablets. His face was radiant. It says he was radiant, and this is the important part, because he had spoken with God. In other words, speaking with God and taking his word back to the people caused his face to radiate with the glory of God. Speaking with God did something that caused him to be strengthened and to radiate. It actually changed him. And if you read on, it wasn't just this time that he went up the mountain to speak with God, but every time he went into the tent of meeting to speak with God. There is something about being in God's presence that changes you, even to the extent that others can see it. You know, I often ask, has anybody had a special experience when I'm doing in my prayer, cl- uh, prayer, prayer class? Anybody had a special experience last week? But I'll tell you the truth, many times I can see it in their face before I even ask them. You radiate with his glory. He can give you strength. Let's let's go to 2 Corinthians, and Paul will speak of this as well. He says in in, uh, 2 Corinthians, he says, But if the ministry of death in letters engraved on stone came with glory, so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because the glory of his face fading as it was... Paul says that the law spoken by God to Moses, not written on the hearts of the people, but written on stone and parchment, came with glory. See, Paul is speaking of this very event that we just talked about, and not just this one event, because every time Moses went in to inquire of God for the people, he came out and he radiated with the same glory. When when God spoke to Moses, Moses radiated in glory, so much so that when Moses spoke God's words to the people after coming down the mountain or out of the tent of meeting, he still radiated. Think of the power those words would have had as he spoke them to the people as he radiated in the glory of God. The problem is, those last four words in the verse, fading as it was, the glory then faded. After he came out, the glory began to fade. And not just the glory faded, but as we can see by reading of the people's disobedience, God's words faded in their hearts as well. Now listen to what Paul says about the ministry of the Spirit, whereby God writes his law on your heart. He says, how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. Indeed, what had glory in this case has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. For if that which fades away was with glory, much more that which remains is in glory. He says in kind of a Kolva Homer argument, he says, if the law written on stone, came with glory, radiating from Moses' face, and it brought condemnation, how much more the ministry of Yeshua brings righteousness? Because Yeshua writes his law on our hearts, and it brings glory. If we follow the spirit of Messiah and his ministry of writing his law on our hearts, it will bring righteousness and it will bring glory. 
But again, you say, Stan, from what I've read, I don't see that. You just told us, right? How come we don't see this new covenant anywhere? That's because we learned something far more important than most miss. And that is those last four words, the glory faded. These two passages teach us of the failings of the groups above and the failing of most believers. Moses, as he left the tent, the glory began to fade. As he left the presence of God and the communication that he had with God, the glory began to fade. In communication with God, glory. Out of communication with God, fading. Friends, the same is true with us. If we remain in his presence, if we remain in communication and relationship with the master, neither the glory nor the Torah on our hearts will fade. The whole of this relies on, on, on not saying no to the hearing of God's voice. Not saying no to this relationship with God, but seeking above all else this relationship with the master. And I want to close this teaching with just a couple of verses. First from the master. The master says this in Luke chapter 21 verse 34. He says, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, and anxieties of life. And that day will close on you unexpectedly like a trap for it will come upon those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on watch and pray that you will be able to escape all that is about to happen that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Ephesians, he tells the Ephesians this. Paul tells the Ephesians, he says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And to the Thessalonians, he said, Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Messiah Yeshua. It's God's will for you in Messiah Yeshua to continually pray, to continually be in his presence. It goes on, don't put out the Spirit's fire. Don't treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good and avoid all evil. James said, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other and you'll be healed. The prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Or in this version it says, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And I would add, the only way to be a righteous man is through prayer. John said, pray for those in sin. Jude says, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. So here's what I have to say today for those who say that the new covenant is for the next age. I don't see the new covenant at work in the world today. If you don't think that you see the new covenant or the law on people's hearts in the world today, then go to your place of prayer and begin to build a relationship with the king and then the world will see the new covenant and the word of God on the heart in you.